0: We've talked about gut health and the connection between gut health and hormone health before here on the podcast, but we've not talked about a specific gut issue that is more common than you may think, namely parasites. You may think that parasites are not an issue for you but you can get exposed to them in places where you didn't expect. And today's guest, Robin Foritan, is telling us how we get exposed to parasites, how to find out if we have parasites, and how to treat parasites, and their surprising connection to the moon, Robin is an award winning registered dietitian and leading expert in holistic health and integrative and functional nutrition. She firmly believes that the body is able to heal itself when given the right conditions and offers her clients a more natural approach to health and healing by seeking out the underlying imbalances that cause symptoms and using a holistic and biological approach to reversing those imbalances. She sees clients. Privately through her virtual practice, Nutrition by Robin, as well as through the Morrison Center in New York City. Robin is also a nutrition consultant, writer, lecturer, and media spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. She addresses people's health issues by supporting digestive health, detoxification support, and balancing inflammation. Let's get started. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome, Robin. I am so excited you are here today. Tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Yay. I'm excited too. (laughs) Uh, My name is Robin Foratam. I'm an integrative and
1: functional registered dietitian, and I specialize in detoxification, gut health, and stealth infections. Um, And I say stealth because there's a whole bunch of infections that kind of like fly under the radar. And a lot of times when people can't get better, they just have these like really persistent infections or these persistent symptoms. You've got to look for a deeper root cause. So when you kind of keep digging, keep digging, keep digging, that's kind of, that's, that's where I
0: live. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. You You always have me questioning if I should see you for, for just like random stuff. Because you deal with a lot of things that other people don't really look at. Things yeah. like mold and parasites? And, you know, what are some of those other stealth infections that you work with?
1: So there's the gut infections. There can be colonization of stuff in like sinuses. Um, There's bloodborne infections. Um, And then there's infections that kind of like to settle in different organs. And we don't really think about that so much. So like thyroid. And I think Funny enough, medical medium is the one who brought this to light, but he was right about like, he's right about something sometimes, which is interesting, but whatever. Anyway, um, Epstein-Barr virus loves to hang out in the thyroid and so does mercury. So like, you know, you've got to think about these sorts of things. And there's a lot of mood disorders, for instance, that are rooted in stealth infections, like different insect-borne infections. So there's like the Lyme, but then there's also Babesia, Bartonella, Ehrlichia, like all of these other gross infections that we can get from ticks, but also from other bugs too. So it's kind of, it's gross to think about. Um, But in the end, I think it's important for people to recognize that it's not us against the microbes, really. It's probably more us against the toxins because that's the stuff that really kind of suppresses your immune system and your own body functions. And then that's when things get mucked
0: up. Yeah. There's so much to dive into there. Um, I think, you know, Epstein-Barr is one that's really common. I mean, I had mono uh, my junior year of high school and uh, yeah, it definitely can crop up. And for me, it's mm-hmm. kind of, um, it's the canary in the coal mine. Um, and it's been this way since I was 17, where if I'm pushing myself a little too hard, I'm not sleeping enough. I'm not getting enough nutrients and I get the scratchy throat. Um yeah,
1: you know where you know your own symptoms of when it starts to kick up, which is important.
0: Yeah, it's almost a nice reminder because you know, if you can if you're in a really busy or I'm in a really busy work um cycle, you know, there will be times when literally every Thursday night I have a sore throat. And it's like, okay, it's time to be making some shifts
1: in my schedule. Isn't and- it funny? Like from that perspective, it's your friend.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. No. <laughs> I, kind of, kind of like you know. In some ways, you know, I, I might have tried to keep pushing through in the past, um, but that never never ends well, you yes. know. Yes. Um, and the other thing, and I know you've been even talking about this a little bit lately, and we really haven't talked about it on the podcast at all. Um, and it's something top of mind for me because you know I just experienced this, uh, but two years of of avoiding the Rona you know, and it, it finally you avoided it the whole time. Totally no. avoided it. Um, up until March of this oh, year. Oh damn! Yeah. Hubby works in an elementary school. So it was just like a matter of time till it happened. <laughs> um, you know, and we're both, relatively young-ish, I guess, and uh, healthy and we eat well and do all the things. And it's just, it's fascinating to me, the lingering weird symptoms that still are happening two months later.
1: Yeah. And so a lot of us really believe, and and this has been, I feel like this has been talked about from the beginning uh, within integrative and functional uh, people is that, you know, the stress of, it's either the stress of the infection or the inflammatory cascade, who knows what it is, whatever it is about the Rona seems to reactivate quiet infections. And it could just be because like immune suppression, like it could be a lot of different things, but it's sort of like Like, I feel like I had such an advantage because I know the infections that hang out. I mean, I'm sure there's other ones that I don't know about, but like, I knew to keep an eye out. So, like, I got it last summer. And like, towards the end, when I started to recover, I started to get like these weird aches. And I'm like, ooh, I know what you are. And so, I, you know, pulled out the herbals and started my own, you know, treatment for stealth infections. And it resolved a lot faster than a lot of other people who, like, just don't know their infections.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, my area is really area of expertise is really the hormone health, so I instantly did a Dutch test on myself and I was like I need to see what my adrenals are doing. Yeah. Um and they're tanked, they're flatlined, yeah. um which obviously, you know, when you're Cortisol, I think a lot of people think of cortisol as a negative, that it's our stress hormone, that it, you know, causes us to develop belly fat and all of that stuff. But we need cortisol. Cortisol oh, yeah. you too know, little is
1: gonna make you have belly fat too. It
0: sucks. It's like a yeah, goldilocks You know, like like that that protective cortisol spike in the morning is what protects us against inflammation from creeping in that can lead to autoimmune conditions. And that's definitely oh, wow. something something else that, you know, with the stealth infections and things, like I've had, you know, a history of Raynaud's, which, you know, isn't isn't really a huge deal anymore. It definitely was when I was working as a retail dietitian and I was just in the cold grocery oh. store all the time. Um, but yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I had the um, COVID fingers pop up. Like out of nowhere. And, Ugh. you know, there's a lot of overlap with the autoimmune conditions and the inflammation and the tanked adrenal glands. And yeah. I, did, I didn't pull a CRP on me, but I, I assume my inflammation is oh, yeah. a lot higher. But so high. I know I, I feel like I have this whole toolbox that, you know, I've been actively focusing on my adrenals the last couple of weeks and the inflammation part of things. And it's making a difference in how I feel. But, you know, I can imagine, you know, not really understanding what's going on and just knowing that you don't feel great and not knowing what to do about
1: it. Yeah. Cause you can do that. And then you can also do like mitochondrial support. There was some data to show that it tanks your B, co- your B levels. So you can slam the Bs and try to get out of it. Like, slam your vitamin C to try to get out of it. d you know, glutathione, like all of the things just kind of like get your detox pathways working again, get your mitochondria fed and refed, and then just like love on those adrenals a bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally a detour here, but it, it just goes to show how it's all complicated and it's all connected, you know? Yeah.
1: And so that's kind of one of the things that I think I do really well, which is, you know, I always say that like, there's a language to everything. So different infections will kind of like talk to you in a different way. And so when people tell me about their symptoms, it's funny because so many people will apologize for the long list of symptoms, which is so silly. Like, this is why you're here. There's like, don't apologize for those kinds of things. Like tell me all the things, because sometimes the things that sound super random and unrelated are actually like really big clues for me where I'm like, oh, it's this and this end that. Okay. That speaks to either this system not working very well or some kind of stressor that then we can kind of look at a little bit more. So there's a language to the body and there's a language to infections. And if you really know what to listen for, that's when you can start to kind of like peel those different layers and figure out like what is at the root of this or what, I mean, at that point, there's like several different root causes. It's never really going to be one, but you know, you have to look at the body as a whole.
0: Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying with my my sore throats when I get tired is like, you know, they're, they're all clues. It's just symptoms are just information and mm-hmm. clues. And so they can help point us in the right direction of what might, actually be happening and what sort of patterns are happening in your body. Definitely. Yeah. So it seems, you know, in functional medicine, almost all diseases and conditions ultimately tie back to the gut health. Uh, Why is the gut so important to everything? So
1: the gut is super critical. And part of it is because that's where you're going to get your nutrients. You know, you're really, your diet is only as good as what you absorb and, and can utilize. So, you know, that's where digestion and absorption happens, obviously. It's also where a lot of our um, neurotransmitters are. And, you know, microbes are reactive to our neurotransmitters. They also put out neurotransmitters. So there's this uh, very important superhighway of information, not just between the gut and the brain, but the microbes and the brain too. And so that's where you get some faulty messaging where, you know, one of the things that I say all the time is, you know... um, You can't do intuitive eating if your gut microbiome is really jacked up. You're going to get wrong information. And so you really can only do intuitive eating after that groundwork is done of getting the gut microbes balanced because you'll be hungry at weird times. Like you'll, I mean- there is such a thing as feeling hungry soon after you just ate, like that's a symptom. That's telling us something. It's not that you didn't have enough food, perhaps, perhaps it's a call for, you know, feeding more of the microbes. So we've got that. Then we've got the gut microbes being either potentially a a source of hidden low-grade inflammation, and that affects the rest of the body or it could be a very harmonious place. And then you've got like really good flow between removal of toxins and absorption of nutrients. And you've got a microbiome that is friendly and and helps your body activate certain gene patterns that are protective for you, rather than inflammatory and, and potentially disease causing. Um, And then, you know, if your gut microbiome is really out of balance and you have uh, an abundance of unfriendly microbes that also creates a burden on your detox and liver pathways, it can make your gallbladder junked up and your bile flow junked up. And so that has a lot of consequences too, not just for fat absorption and things like that, but bile is there to help your, you know, that's part of how your thyroid hormones get converted from T4 to T3, bile plays into that. It's also an uh, an antimicrobial in its own right. So we need it to prevent things like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and bloating conditions and that kind of thing. Um, So it's really important from there too. And then finally, it's the seat of our immune system. And I I kind of feel like we've heard so many different numbers, usually somewhere between 70 and 90% of the immune system lives in the gut and that's the gut associated lymphoid tissue, GALT. And so quite literally your immune system is only as robust as your digestive health. So that's pretty much why so much of it connects back to gut health, because if the gut is not good, then overall health is going to be compromised no matter what
0: yeah there's i mean definitely a connection between the bile and estrogen metabolism oh yeah i picked that up from you that's so cool yeah and also you know the gut is the third phase of uh, metabolism of hormones so you know it's ultimately where the hormones exit our body so if the gut isn't working or those microbes, um, you've got the kind that are overproducing beta glucuronidase, then we're going to have some estrogen problems up the line too, but ultimately it's the gut. I also see, you know, in PCOS, there's a lot of overlap with IBS and IBD Mm -hmm. and thyroid conditions. Um, and inflammation. And oftentimes that inflammation, you know, in addition to coming from the PCOS itself or the excess body fat is coming from gut dysfunction.
1: Right. And if your body is really struggling with the removal of toxins, and that has to do with gut health and liver health too, if your body is struggling with eliminating, you know, toxic Uh, substances. And it could be from our own metabolism. It could be from the outside world. It could be from the gut microbes themselves doing their whole metabolism because they pump out toxins too, some more than others. Um, But if your body can't get rid of it all, it's just going to stick it in a fat cell. And that's our body's protective mechanism. And it will not let you lose that fat. Like if your detox pathways are junked up, it will not let you lose that fat because it knows there's nowhere for it to go. So- you know, so many people will come to us for things like weight loss and that might be the last thing to shift. And, you know, even though it's like, it's not really what I want to lead with, but I wanna be really upfront about what to expect. A lot of the times, you know, the body fat may not shift until you correct a lot of the other things first.
0: Yeah. And, you know, to connect it back to hormones, again, a lot of those toxins that we're exposed to on a daily basis are endocrine disrupting Mm -hmm. chemicals. So, you know, they're having hormonal effects in your body or they're blocking normal hormonal effects in your body. Um, And that's, what's causing some of the symptoms that people come see me for, you know, Yeah. It all, we spend a lot of time working on the gut with a lot of my clients. Um, I bet. (laughs) Yeah. Even, you know, even if there's not, you know, I'm sure you see a lot of clients who have those overt gut symptoms where it's like, okay, clearly something's going on here in the gut. But what about if you get someone who like, has pretty decent digestion. They're having a bowel movement every day. They're not really complaining of things like bloating or gas or indigestion. Oh yeah, yeah. So, do you see those like stealth? Gut oh my issues gosh,
1: too? all the time. And it's so interesting because you know even just convincing one of those people to drop four hundred bucks on a stool desk, you know, it, when they're not experiencing symptoms. And you know, perfect example. I, I was working with this woman. She's like one of my favorite client I feel like all of my clients are my favorite clients know, right but she it's like you know some some of your clients you're like oh man I wish we could just like hang out in the real world and like not have this kind of professional relationship maybe later um but she was just like so lovely to work with and um she had a very interesting history but Her, she did have gut symptoms well before she came to me and she removed gluten and they all resolved. So she was like, okay, I'm good. But she would always, she kept getting these recurrent urinary tract infections. And I was like, well, that's weird. So I had her do a a very specialized urine test for pathogens and parasites. And wouldn't you know it, we found worms. We found worms in the urine. And this is is a thing that I have found in in a few women, particularly women who have recurrent, uh, not yeast infections, but recurrent urinary tract infections. And it really forced me to rethink UC completely Um, and other kinds of like bladder dysfunction conditions, especially if like there's so many people who get diagnosed with, um, no, sorry, IC. Interstitial cystitis, I see, not you see. So uh, interstitial cystitis, and there's a lot of women who get diagnosed with that, even if they don't like totally fit the picture, it's just sort of this diagnosis that they get. And it made me completely rethink that as potentially microbes that have migrated their way into the urinary tract somehow. And, And we don't know if they're, I mean, maybe there's a microbiome of the urinary tract and we just don't know yet. It's definitely not sterile the way that we thought. We have better tests now. Um, but when I did that woman's GI map, where I was like, your gut has got to be jacked if, we, we've found, if we're finding these microbes in your urine. So we did a GI map and it was still to this day, the most dysbiotic gut, so much overgrowth. I've never seen worse it's still to this day, that was the worst one I ever seen. And she didn't have any digestive symptoms. She had histamine symptoms, but she was allergic to her cat. And of course, like we can't get rid of our
0: pets. So that was going to be hard. Yeah. You're, you're talking to preaching to the choir. I
1: know. So (laughs) there were other things going on, but you know, we had a lot of gut work to do and it was a surprise to us both, quite frankly, (laughs) that it was going to be so bad. So you can't always rely on symptoms alone. You back to like, there's a language and you have to know when to start looking for hidden areas of slow fire inflammation. And the gut can be a really big one.
0: Yeah, we actually uh, just had Kelly Kreicher. She's um, she's one of the only two IC dietitians in North America, and um, we just had her on. So I'm not sure if that episode's going to be airing before or after this one, uh, but but it is. It's a really complicated condition too, and you know they don't really know what causes it. You know they have a couple treatments that work, but not in everyone. So, you know, it's like, maybe, maybe this one's more histamine related, maybe this person it's more neurotransmitter related, um, you know, more inflammation related or acid related seems to be, um, some of the things that factor into that. So, yeah.
1: And, you know, funny enough, mold will trigger histamine mold also puts a very big strain on the kidneys and the urinary tract. And in women, women will experience this more intensely than men will, but there's, you know, a lot of, uh, of the mycotoxins have to get eliminated through the urinary tract. So there's all of these other things to be suspicious of when there's a system that's like really taxed and very, very squeaky and symptomatic. So it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, if your gut's not doing a great job, then your other detoxification systems kind of have to ramp up up and you know, then they're getting exposed to things they should never get exposed to. And the quantity is that they, they shouldn't be. So totally. Yeah.
1: And vice versa, if your kidneys are not eliminating what it needs to, like your body's going to try to dump it, you know, into the digestive tract and hope you poop it out. So Word to the wise, make sure you poop every day. Don't be constipated. It's the worst. (laughs) It's
0: literally the worst. (laughs) Yeah, that's why one of of the biggest red flags for me for gut symptoms or for gut issues, if there aren't any overt gut symptoms is any skin condition. Yes. Anything happening with the skin, whether it's eczema, psoriasis, acne, like Mm -hmm. something's trying to make its way out of your skin.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I find that, some people just sort of like, everybody's got their constitutional like hallmark, whatever. And some people are very prone to things coming out through the skin and it's a major detoxification organ. So it's like, if, you know, the liver is backed up and the bile's not flowing and you're dehydrated all the time, then your body's like, well, I guess we're just going to push it out of the skin. Here you go. <laughs> But yeah. acne, acne's got a huge connection with parasites, especially like really cystic painful acne. That's a that's sort of a red flag for parasites.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. I definitely want to get more into that in a second, but I want to back up a little bit because I okay. talked about how, you know, the gut and gut dysfunction and imbalances can be the root causes for other conditions, mm-hmm. but. Our guts don't, as you say, get jacked on their own, right? Like there's something, there are root causes of gut dysfunction and gut imbalances. So what are some of the, the things that can lead to our guts not doing what they should be doing?
1: Well, there's things that we know, and then there's things that we suspect. So the things that we know that so many people struggle with is going to be like bad sleep, you know, very high stress over prolonged periods of time. I mean, there's data to show that one night of bad sleep shifts the microbiome. And that is kind of unfortunate. And it sucks to know that because, you know, if I have a really bad night's sleep, or if I don't sleep too many hours, cause I'm like, catching a flight in the morning or whatever. I'm kind of preoccupied of like, Oh no, I shifted my microbiome for the negative (laughs) health. Um, so those two for sure, um, a poor diet, you know, eating too many carbs, too many sugars, too many refined carbohydrates, too much candy, too many, too many artificial sweeteners, all of these things compromise the gut and then not enough fiber, not enough antioxidants, you know? Um, so Every time you eat, you're also feeding your microbiome. So you have to be mindful of like, well, what are they doing based on what I'm doing? Um, so if you are someone, oh, alcoholism is another thing that will really shift the microbiome uh, to a very inflammatory place. Uh, so, you know, you like diet is super important, oh, antibiotics. I mean, mm-hmm. when I think back to when I was a kid um, I was on antibiotics all the time. And even as a young adult, I mean, it's it's so clear looking back on it. You know, I got into this work because I couldn't find help. Um, and I was getting dim- dismissed by the doctors and rapidly losing weight. I couldn't eat food comfortably. I mean, looking back, it was SIBO. It was so obvious. But um, I mean, that medical gaslighting stuff that you talk about on social media really resonates with me because I had you know, I had so many doctors kind of like explaining to me how, because I was real, I mean, I was really thin because I was rapidly losing weight. I couldn't eat comfortably. Also, that's probably when I picked up parasites. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would sort of explain to me what body dysmorphia is and say that it was normal to be bloated. And I, and I was just begging to be heard of like, I look four months pregnant at the end of every day. And then I'm like, I wake up with a flat belly in the morning and it wasn't until I saw a functional medicine doctor. And I was like, look, look at the stretch marks that I'm getting from this like rapid stretching and then flattening that happens every day. And she was the first person who really started to help me. But um, you know, leading up to that, I was getting recurrent sinus infections. And so I saw this like horrendous doctor who prescribed me antibiotics once a month for about six or seven months, wiped out my entire gut microbiome. And it was just like a downhill spiral after that. My old infections reactivated. I didn't know that I had Lyme. I didn't know that I had Bartonella. You know, all these things kind of feed forward. So. If you consider that, you know, from infancy, if you've taken two rounds of antibiotics, which who hasn't? Two rounds of antibiotics will shift your microbiome irreparably. So it will always be compromised from that moment forth. And if you also consider that if you're born vaginally, we can only hope that your mom had really good vaginal flora and that's how you're colonized. And if you're a C-section baby, you're mostly colonized with staph because that's what's around. You get, you get colonized with skin, microbiota rather than intestinal and vaginal mac- microbiota. So there's all a, there's sort of like a, a perfect storm of living in a modern world where many of us are born c-section, many of us are not breastfed uh, many of us take antibiotics for one reason or another uh, not to say that it's always bad it's sometimes, quite necessary. you know you're not going to go get your tooth pulled and not take antibiotics, you're gonna die. So you know we need these things, but there is a consequence to it all. And then people are stressed out, they're disconnected from nature. they're not eating well for their bodies and their guts and then their sleep is cruddy. and so it's this perfect storm. And then there's the things that we suspect where it's like you know glyphosate. Is, mm-hmm. is shown to shift the microbiome in a really negative way. It kills our gut, gut bugs, most likely. So we've had these pesticides and the persistent organic pollutants um, m- may have a, an effect on the gut microbiome. So there's all of these things that we know for a fact. And then there's all of these things that we suspect are true. But it really yeah. is a perfect storm.
0: I always get questions about like GMOs and, you know, That's- it's not that, you know, I'm not opposed to the idea of GMOs, you know, in theory, um, you know, particularly when they're to, to grow more food or be more productive, especially in places where food is scarce. Um, but many of them are, are grown to withstand more pesticides. Right. right? I mean, the
1: net net is more pesticide use in the environment
0: yeah. and
1: then resistance to the pesticides. I mean, it's just, it doesn't, it didn't do what was promised. I think that's sort of what we all need to come around to understanding is that even if the idea was great and wholesome, the net net of it is that we're actually doing more damage than, than was before. So not great.
0: (laughs) I think, you know, sort of the, the common thread in all of this is there are things that we don't have a heck of a lot of control over when it comes to the development of our microbiome or the health of our microbiome. Many things happened to us when we were infants or children. Um, you know, it, it does give you pause before taking unnecessary antibiotics for something. You know, I think, I think of clients who really regret taking antibiotics for acne. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But Um, how remarkable that an antibiotic clears the skin and yet there isn't a more global understanding of what happens in the skin is happening in the gut.
0: Yeah. So my understanding with the antibiotics, because it's killing everything, basically good, bad, indifferent. So that's what allows these opportunistic guys to come Set up shop, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, it's sort of, it's the opportunistic ones will come up, the yeast overgrowths, and then you kind of have this sort of like quasi sick environment at some point, immune system kind of gut immune system is to a certain degree compromised. And then you start considering all these other things, you know, like if you're on an acid blocker, or if you don't make enough stomach acid, which so many people do not make enough stomach acid, you're basically like inviting in every microbe that you ingest. And if the flora in your digestive tract is not protective for you, those guys can take up shop and just like live in your gut. And they the immune system's not strong enough to kick it out. And, you know, then you have more opportunistic growth around the you know,
0: different pathogens because the pathogens will shield one another. Yeah, I, I take a lot of heat for um, being outspoken about the fact that I, I don't think a vegan diet or a fully plant-based diet is supportive of gut health and hormone health or fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why, Um, because when you're not eating protein regularly and you don't have a need to make as much stomach acid to break down the proteins, like people can feel pretty good on a vegan diet for a little while. For a certain amount of time. Yeah. There's an expiration date on it like a year, a year or two. Yeah. And then about two years out, you know, I mean, depending on their genetics too. Exactly. Some of the genetics
1: love it. Like some, some bodies they're like good, but I would say the vast majority crash.
0: Yeah. About two years out, then you're going to be getting that bloating and the, um, microbiome shifts and, you know, just a mess of digestion at that point. Um, but the acid is a is a problem. And I think, you know, much like antibiotics and doctors' sort of willingness to write an antibiotic strip, oh. script like proactively <laughs> or just like, well, why not? You know, why like, not? Why not? Let's just let's
1: remove the gallbladder. Why not? And why it's not? Like, let's
0: yeah. just let's give give you a Z pack. Uh, I don't know if this is really, you know, bacterial, but. What's it, what's it going to harm? Um, not to mention all of the antibiotics from like factory farming and all yeah. of that, like, you know, there's, there's just trickle down. so much antibiotics in the yeah. system, um, but it's kind of similar with the, the PPI you know, oh, the PPIs. like you're having heartburn here, take Prevacid, take this, take that, and like no plan to get off them. It's almost impossible to get off them once you're on them. Um, And it's causing really real damage, uh, removing acid. We need acid. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the
1: acid, uh, yeah,
0: we need the acid. It
1: (laughs) liberalizes the amino acids from proteins. It also makes minerals and and certain vitamins. Uh, You know, we need the acid there to be able to absorb all of those minerals. So it's like, you know, somebody has been on an acid blocker forever. And then they're like, oh no, I have osteoporosis at 45. And you're like, well, yeah, no duh. You're not absorbing your minerals. This is a problem. And, you know, finally there's some research coming out. They connected it with um, PPI use with Parkinson's, right? That was one of the neurological conditions. I'm fairly certain that it was Parkinson's uh, that was the link. And Parkinson's also has a connection with fungal infections with a fungal overgrowth in the brain. Um, there's been some data on that where, you know, they, uh, dissect the cadaver brains and, and find a lot of, uh, fungus in there, candida and stuff. So wow, fascinating. I mean, we're mostly microbes. We shouldn't be surprised. We're mostly microbes.
0: Yeah so what would be some of the tests that people could take to identify what their gut issues are and where they're coming from
1: so you know the i believe that the that the prevalence of parasitic infections is the is sort of like the big Somehow it's like this secret issue and a big part, it's like a very big blind spot in Western medicine. And if you talk to doctors in places like South Africa or um, Australia, even, I mean, they basically deworm their kids at the end of every summer, the way that we deworm our dogs. And this persistent idea that you can't get sick with parasites in the United States is completely false and completely flawed. You don't have to be in any kind of country. I mean, a lot of people, uh, a lot of my clients pick up uh, parasites in Europe, in Spain, within Europe, obviously, Um, Israel, like Asia, there's, there's a, I mean, you can pick up parasites if you've never left the country. If you've never left your state, you can still pick up parasites. The issue is the testing's no good.
0: Right. Conventional so, testing, right?
1: Conventional testing is abysmal. It, it is mm-hmm. just, it literally, it's a waste of poop. Don't like, don't even bother. you I mean, if you find something in your conventional, like over parasite test, like the one that your gastro probably gives you, it's like miracle of miracles.
0: You're so lucky they found something. You're going to get treatment. Fantastic. Right. but But you've literally got like worms coming out of your body at that point. If it's going to pick up
1: like anything, but, and then there's this idea of what the behavior of the infections are where it's, you know, like I've had these conversations with gastros where they're like, okay, you found blasto. How do you know that that's connected to their symptoms? And I'm like, what? Well, because when we treat the blast when it goes away, they feel better. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, or like if you find a microbe where typically the acute um, symptoms are like chronic diarrhea, runaway diarrhea, but you find it in a person who's constipated because now it's a chronic infection.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: there's this thinking of like, if it doesn't behave the way the textbook says that it behaves and it must not be the problem. And that's not the problem. The problem is you can only catch, first of all, you can only catch what you're looking for. That's why the O and P test sucks because they're only looking for a couple of things. And if you have something else, then you're going to get a a negative test. Uh, And then you're going to be told, you know, everything is normal, but everything is not normal. So the four things that they looked at, you didn't, you didn't come up positive to that, but You know, every single bowel movement is going to have a different mix of stuff. That's why some of the tests are are multiple collection, which is fine. It's not my favorite uh, to ask people to collect their poop like over the course of three days. Like if we can do it in one shot, all all the better. But even the best tests that tend to be more reliable, some of them are completely incapable of finding parasites. Like I've been using the GI map for years and years, very hit or miss on the yeast. So if any yeast shows up at all, it's a lot of yeast. And that's true for like the Genova test. like. Very hit or miss for yeast in my opinion, but like kind of incapable of finding larger parasites. Um, so I don't expect to see them there, but what you can see is the hallmark signs of parasitic infection. So you might not find the actual parasite. There's really, there, there's only a couple of tests on the market that is at all capable of finding worms. And even then it's hit or miss. And part of the reason is because like parasitic worms don't want to be found. They are attached to the inside lining of your intestines and you can't catch a dead one because when they die, they release enzymes and dissolve, it dissolves their body. So you can't find those. You have to hope to find eggs or a weak one. And so, you know, that's sort of, that's the big blind spot is that the testing is not great. And so it really falls to the practitioner to know what to listen for when you can say like, okay, if this and that and this, then yeah, we need to suspect larger parasites and pathogens that don't show up on the test. And, you know, we might want to do a GI map anyway, just to see what everything else looks like and what the immune system is doing in there and, you know, what the opportunistic uh microbes are doing and, and there's still it's still worth it to do it, but don't think that you've now ruled out parasites because you you definitely have not.
0: It's so interesting. I feel like in certain ways veterinary, veterinary medicine is so far ahead on yeah. parasites because you know it's just you're not so, in denial. You know, like we've done, you know, we we rescue, you know, our, all of our animals are rescues so I've, I've gone through all of it in the past with ringworm and tapeworm and roundworm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just so fast to like, okay, well, we'll do bring in some poop. We'll do the float test and, you know, see if we see some eggs and yep. they are, they do tend to be more visible with pets when you, <laughs> when you do have them, but, um, yeah. Yeah, a little harder. Most people—that's another thing. You know, I think that's an American thing. Is a lot of people aren't actually even looking yeah, at their poop. Look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like you might not know if something or and, we, and not talking about it. So it's like you don't really know. Like, is that normal? Is that nor- not normal? Yeah, and like some
1: things do look like food, like hmm. liver flukes. That's another big blind spot. And I've yet to find like liver what? flukes. That's my next frontier. What? Yeah. <laughs>
0: there so before we get back to the rest of the episode i just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop i've put together called pcos meal prep made easy if you're like most folks i hear from you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with pcos and you may feel like you don't even know where to start In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool, I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode.
1: The liver flukes thing is going to be huge because it's sort of like a complete blind spot, but I actually think that it's a much more common, I actually think it's super common because you can, you see them when they come out and they look like, what, what is it? What are they? Disgusting. But like, what are they? It's like this kind of, I think that they count as worms. I'm not really sure. Like a fluke, like a fish? No, no, it's like um ew, they're disgusting. Google it, don't Google oh, it, Google oh it, don't Google it, be brave, <laughs> be brave and Google it, Google images. So they're these, these, they're just like really gross. They're like these little um sort of like, I don't know, squarish, triangle-ish, then they're flat. They're like these like flat kind of worms, right? But when they die, they roll up. So they'll look like either rolled up tomato skins. So like if you haven't had tomatoes in a long, long time and specifically like, if you eat a bunch of like cherry tomatoes, you're gonna have like rolled up cherry tomato skin in in your stool. And like, that's totally fine. That's not a big deal. Um, But if you have not been eating tomatoes and you see like either kind of darkish, bright red, dark red or black, it can look like a twig you can, you know, there's people who are like, yeah, I don't know, like twigs. I'm like, oh, they're flukes. Okay. we got flukes. So rolled up tomato skin, that's a liver fluke. And like, think about even just conceptualize how many people have sluggish liver detoxification. And if we think of that in like a microbe sort of infection kind of way. Like it sort of opens up another potential, uh, for intervention really. So liver flukes, I think are major. None of the tests that I use is good at picking them up. I just, they just don't show up on tests and they're rarely on a panel. One of the tests that I use is on a panel. And in all these years, one guy tested positive for, for liver flukes. And it's impossible because when you start treating people, they tell you what, I mean, I encourage people to look and then report back and they'll tell you. And it's liver flukes.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. It's super gnarly. We kind of alluded to the fact that we can get them um, here in the US. And it is a total misconception that you can only get them if you're, you know, traveling out of the country and Mm -hmm. you know, off the grid and like drinking dirty water and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. What are some of the more common places people pick up parasites in the U.S.? I mean, I know you mentioned New York City. I I ate sushi once a week while I lived in New York City. Um, You know, I know that's a place.
1: The, so no one knows for sure. And everybody wants to know that they're like, where did I get this from? And you know, you can't be sure if you have pets, you probably have parasites. I mean, look, the thing we should also mention is it's probably completely normal and part of normal, healthy flora to have some worms. Like there's even some helmet treatments for autoimmune that was being that were being investigated a few years back. So, it's not abnormal to have worms as part of your microbiome. It's probably in fact quite healthy. I think the same thing about H pylori, it's the same thing about, you know, Candida and yeast like It's not that they're not supposed to be there at all. This is about an overgrowth. If they're running free in there and there's no checks and balances, that's when problems start. So it's not like, do I have worms? Yes, you probably, if you're alive, there's another, there's some doctor, I don't remember who exactly it was, but he says if you have a pulse, you have parasites, which is Mm -hmm. a fine thing to assume because it is part of, is probably part of normal flora. We don't know what's supposed to be in there, to be quite honest. We have a lot of guesses and, you know, we do what we can with the research that we have. Um, But, you know, no one knows what the ideal gut microbiome looks like. It's probably different in different parts of the world. Um, So sushi, very big, very big.
0: But like, okay, so what I've heard, and maybe you tell me if this is true or not. I've heard that tuna tends to be lower in parasites because they freeze it right on the boat. Um, but salmon, which is actually my favorite sushi tends to be the higher in Paris. Oh,
1: you know, I haven't heard that. What I've heard, I don't know that freezing is actually the protective thing because if there's an egg, the egg is going to survive. And if the egg hatches now, now you've got some extra worms. Um, I did hear the thing about the salmon and part of it has to do with the warming waters,
0: Mm -hmm. warmer
1: waters have more like microbes and, and
0: kind of bugs. So, you know, part of this is an environmental issue. Um, like water supply too. And same thing. It's why like people will have like boil water alerts. Um, but particularly when it's warmer out, like during the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And, um,
1: My favorite are raw oysters. That's probably another one. I don't know about worms, but maybe, you know, like I'm sure there's microbes in there. Um, The oyster farmers will probably say no because they explain that um, the oyster themselves are really um, sensitive to bad water. They need it to be clean, but my understanding is that they're filter feeders, so I don't totally get it. So I would love some education around that if somebody has it.
0: (laughs) I'm a little confused about the science around that too, but that's my impression is like oysters are good for the ocean because they clean the water, but like, I I think there's some sort of biotransformation that occurs in the oyster to like neutralize the toxin so that when you eat the oyster, it's not toxic. This could just be like wishful this thinking is or like, yeah. you know, something <laughs> that I've like, like picked up a little shred of through the years and hung on to like, I can eat oysters. They're fine. You know, I
1: know, I know, but there's definitely, there was a, a point where I just was like eating oysters incessantly and all of a sudden like the bloat started. So I clearly picked something up. I just treated, I didn't bother to test it, but
0: I freaked out one time. Cause I was on, we were actually out in the Hamptons. I was out in the Hamptons with a couple other couples and they brought their dog. And, which is great, cute little dog, you know, really sweet, really fun. Um, I had brought like a jar of organic peanut butter and they took the dog toy and stuck it in my jar of peanut butter and gave it to the dog. And I was like, that is dead to me now. I am not like, (laughs) I was so, and this is so funny because this is the couple that I know, like got Giardia from their dog. Duh. And I'm like, like, what that's are you, are so you gross. like mouth kissing your dog? Like, like you're clearly just sharing food. everything. everything. And, oh. ah, I mean, it's just no, like, okay, gross. well that's dead to me now. That, like, is, that is
1: a lot. That is too much.
0: <laughs> that's so gross. I know you, you were joking with me about people who show you pictures of like their pets butts in their face. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. You know, this has
1: happened a couple, this has happened more than once, you know, where I'm on a video chat with somebody who I'm treating for parasites and gut dysfunction and their cat like walks across whatever desk that their, you know, their computer is, is propped up on and like sticks its butt in the person's face. And the person is like, not miffed at all. There (laughs) is just sort of like a normal part of their life. And I'm like, oh my god that butt that butt was probably the vector so pets major raw seafood major pr- you know probably pork products who know you know cooked uncooked you know maybe undercooked who knows is
0: that still a thing like i, I remember seeing you know it, there used to be caution around cooking pork to a higher temperature yeah um And I I know that that's been shifted a little bit in recent years that you don't have to cook it to quite so high, but is that that not true or do we don't know?
1: (laughs) I don't think anybody knows. Like there's certain things that don't get updated, you know, like, you know, every so often I try to like dig in and, and try to figure out like, for instance, what seafood is lowest in mercury and POPs. And I go in and I try to find all the most recent information and it's like, nothing ever gets updated so it's sort of like there's something where it's kind of like this particular type of seafood that is from the gulf this one is relatively say you know safe and clean and then there'll be like a spill and mm-hmm. that never get it, they never update it it just doesn't get updated often enough so i think that there's a we just don't know a lot of things so we we can just we can make our best guess um, but there's always a, a, an air of mystery.
0: We shrimp, can- Shrimp is a hard one to like find clean shrimp. I know. Shrimp farms are gross. If, if you ever want to get really grossed out, read up about conventional shrimp farms.
1: I can't read up on any more because at the last fish that I was like, okay, I'm going to see what everybody's talking about was the tilapia. Uh-uh,
0: never, Ooh. never, uh-uh. never, no. never.
1: <laughs> just don't, just don't. That was a horrifying- google image search <laughs> so you know we uh, they're going to have to make um you know these farms more sustainable and cleaner because we can't just keep pulling from the ocean that's clearly not sustainable either so you know we hope that there's better ingenuity and uh you know we'll see how that goes now
0: this is um, why i buy like all my meat from farmers. I, I know personally,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could do that. You would, you know, I moved out to Long Island and I was like, Oh good. I'm going to be able to get farm fresh, everything. no,
0: There's no real like animal farms out there. There's not like cow farms and things are there.
1: There's not even farmers markets here. I got so excited. I went to this farmer's market. I waited for the short window of time. And I got there and they were selling like yarn and honey. I'm like, where's the produce? There was like Uh, Was it early? Was it too early in the season? No, I went a few times. Like and and I asked one of the guys, I was like, there was one guy selling zucchini. So I like bought all his zucchini and his basil. And I was like, where's all the produce? He's like, eh, it's not at this one. You have to go to the one, you know, in Long Beach. And I just, uh, it's just, it's a wonderland
0: up here. Cause, you know, in New York, I, there is a wait list for, you know, eight, 10 years, sometimes to get on a CSA. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little, if you are low income, um, they do prioritize that. So if you, if oh, that crazy. is someone who, you know, you meet that criteria, then it's a little bit easier to get in. But if you're not, um, it can be really hard to get in. But up here, it's like, it's a wetter land. besides being, you know, on the Vermont border where literally everything is a farm. Um, oh, so nice. You know, and we just, there's all these happy cows and all these like fresh ice cream farms. And- oh, I love it. Yeah. That sounds Really nice. That's really nice. Like back back to that trip on the Hamptons, though. Uh, definitely, there's farmer farm stands out there. Yes,
1: tons on the North Fork and the South Fork. Mm-hmm. That's like I think it's two hours away from me, an hour and a half, something like that. It's far, so I just had higher expectations for the <laughs> Long Island farmers market. I thought it was going to be like Union Square Green Market, like all over the place, and it's not. So whatever. I found like a website they deliver. It's good. It's good enough. Um, and I do also say that we get, you know, our partner's microbiomes become Mm. our microbiomes. So, you know, I do, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the one Parasite that is acknowledged in the states is pinworm among kids and kids alone. If an adult is like, "I have an itchy butt," they're like, "You're not wiping well enough." And I'm like, "You have pinworms. What are you talking about?" But pinworm is roundworm, so it's the it's the same. You know, it's the same. Um, so when kids get pinworm, the entire household gets treated. So it is acknowledged that it's very very catchy. And, um, but no one really does that with adults so much where like, when I'm, if I'm treating someone, you know, for parasites, I ha- I want them to talk to their pediatrician if they have kids and see if they're willing to do just a little bit of over the counter, like, you know, here and there, not, you know, uh, not anything major. Um, there are herbal treatments for kids. So pinnix is not the only thing Pinix or a uh, Reese's, which is pyrantal Um, But it's one of the things that exists. Uh, But I like to also treat spouses, even if we just kind of like give them a little bit of something just to kind of cover them. And then you always want to wash your laundry in OxyClean because that kills the eggs. You want to do that with sheets, towels, underwear, especially, but I like OxyClean. I think it's great. Makes things brighter, makes the whites whiter. I, I feel like
0: Does the natural stuff kill too? Like I think the natural one I have is like oxy. It's oxy something, oxy breeze maybe. It's probably the same. It's like oxygen bleach, but without the like fragrance Fragrance. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you have me thinking I need to like treat our whole house because these kittens have had like such a persistent case of roundworms. Um, I would. You know, and I've only seen... Luckily, like with, the, with this batch, I've only seen dead ones. Um, I remember the first time I had a cat when I was like in my early 20s oh, and alive? I saw, I went to pick up a puddle oh, of, of puke and it, it moved and oh. I was just like, oh. <gasps> you know, it was so gross. So I've only seen dead ones, but we've, we've treated them like five, six times now we've had them since September. Um, but now I'm thinking... I need to just treat the two of us too. Treat but They it, do. They all. made us treat, you know, it's like we don't know which one had it. So we need to treat all of all them. All of them. Yeah.
1: Cause if one of them is harboring it and they're all in each other's space, you know, it's just sharing litter boxes, sharing food
0: dishes. So. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So partner, um, definitely partners, definitely your sexual partners. I mean, we're definitely all bumping uglies and sharing microbiomes. Yeah, there's a penile microbiome. <laughs> you know? I know. I mean, it's funny because a lot of women don't think about this, but like if you've got a woman with recurrent vaginal yeast, you're going to want to treat her partner.
0: Oh, vagina rehab doctor talks about this all the time about the oh, Collective about... Uh, the partners you, you let inside basically, but we know, you know, we've also seen similar, like the mouth microbiome, yep. um, you know, if your partner doesn't have good dental health, um, it can actually affect your dental health. Um, Isn't so yeah, be, be selective. Choose <laughs> exactly make sure your partner showers and, you know, yeah, eat. throw a little tea tree oil in every so often. So, I want to know, how did you become fascinated with such a gross topic? Oh my God. So (laughs) gross.
1: You know, I'm trying to remember the origin of it because it was, it's been, it's sort of like been on my radar for a long, long time. You know, one of the first clinics that I worked in um, specialized in Lyme and tick-borne illness. So Mm -hmm. I, that's why I'm so well-versed in that whole world. And the complexities of it was because, you know it was initiation by fire. you just kind of like had to figure it out. Um, And you know, how, what I do kind of like complements different treatments. Um, And so at that time, I remember it would come up periodically about the parasites. And I remember like kind of always being sort of suspicious about it. And when I look back at my own timeline and there was this period of like rapid unintentional weight loss, that I remember was like, you know, as a woman who is vain, I was like, this is kind of awesome. But then the part of me was like, this is a problem. And it's not so awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like barely holding on at 90 pounds. Now I'm short. So 90 pounds isn't like deadly, but just hanging on at above 90 pounds. And I had to eat ice cream. I had to, I had to eat ice cream every day to stay above 90. And so I, as it was happening, I knew that this was bad and wrong, but no one knew how to help me. And everybody kind of like, no one had anything to say about it. So I was kind of on my own. Um, So I sort of picked up some information at that time, just kind of rudimentary information. And then I started, there's a a test out of Arizona um, called, uh, I think it's the Parasitology Institute. I really like their tests. It's not that expensive. Um, they have, you can do like swabs. I use that for urine, sometimes for vaginal, just to kind of like, see what's up. Some people have like persistent infections of the labia. And so we might do a swab and send it off to the parasitology lab to see what they find. Uh, and they've got like urine tests and they've got like butthole tests to just like check for pinworm, which is great for kids, uh, adults too, if you have itchy butt, um, pinworms, pinworms for itchy, butt, uh, especially if it's cyclical and how did it, so I started using this stool test at the time. It was really the only one that I had access to as a practitioner in New York state. And so I was running it and I, there was like, I remember there was this one, one girl, she was young, she was like 18 or 19. And she had done a study abroad program in Japan and developed IBS there. She had the type of parasitic infection that made her gain weight and she couldn't lose it. And when we ran that test and I found larval nematodes and I was like, oh, damn, she's got parasitic worms. And so, you know, that was the start of it. And, you know, I wasn't quite sure how to treat it. You know, there's wormwood, there's black walnut and all of that is, is like good and okay. But it wasn't until I started really digging in to kind of say like, oh, there's this whole area of the gut microbiome that no one is talking about. And people are sort of like completely blind to, oh, and PS, those my microbes may not be staying in the gut. They might be migrating to other places too. And that's a problem. So I don't really know where it all started, but this has been like the secret passion for, I would say, like at least seven years, maybe 10. Um, but it was this like tiptoe into learning about very vague. Herbal treatments that no one at the time had ever heard of. And I don't, I somebody at a conference just like mentioned it to me in passing. A compounding pharmacist said something to me about a plant called Mimosa pudica. Mm. And Mimosa pudica, I remember Mimosa pudica from Kew Gardens outside London from when I was 15 years old. I went there with my cousins and my family for my uncle's wedding. And we went to Kew Gardens, and my cousin Nikki who is just like a wealth of random knowledge. Nikki was like, oh, Mimosa pudica. And she po- pointed to this plant. She goes, Mimosa pudica sensitive plant. And she touched the leaves and all the leaves closed up like this. So it's this, it, they call it Mimosa pudica sensitive plant. And that, it, stood, it stuck with me just because like it was such a weird experience. And then all these years later, somebody says like, oh, Mimosa pudica, for parasites, I was like, really? I found one paper, it's like from the Amazon and it was like how it may work and maybe it, it impacts fertility, maybe not, like all of these things. And there, at the time there was only one company making, it was a powder, so I started like using that and, and you give somebody mimosaputica, it paralyzes worms. So if they're mm. there, you will poop them out and there's a rhythm to that. Um, and then, you know, there's a company called CellCore. They make it in a capsule. The capsule acts differently in my opinion than the powder. I use them both. They're not interchangeable in my opinion, but it like, that's a very helpful herb in addition to the wormwoods and the black walnuts and neem. And, um, there's also something called, um, myrrh, myrrh is, um, Sort of the stealth infection finder. You have to be very careful with myrrh. I've experienced I sort of experimented with myrrh on my own and like really messed myself up because it'll it, it'll pull out really hidden infections. And so if you're not there with some antimicrobials already in the system, then you are not going to
0: feel good. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry. Then you need like the binders. So like (laughs) like it's such a killers binders
1: all, I mean, there really is such an art to it because so many people, especially people with, with acne or where it like, it affects the way they look, they, they, contact me and they want to do like a parasite cleanse, parasite cleanse. Meanwhile, they're like so blocked up. If we did a, if they jumped in and did a parasite cleanse, they will get worse a hundred percent. They will get worse. So you kind of have to walk people through drainage first. You have to make sure your nutrients are topped up first. Then you've got to do the good detox first, make sure those pathways are open. And then you can start the killing. Cause if you're constipated and you try to kill something, you're in a world, you're like, you are going to be in a world of pain. It's not going to be good for you. (laughs) You're going to feel so bad and you're going to get inflamed.
0: Yeah, I've definitely had some clients who are like, like I'm, but, uh, probably goes back to my like liver genetics, uh, phase two detox being like essentially dead. Um, but like, I'm not sensitive to any supplements of any kind. Like, you know, I don't feel it. I don't really oh, feel wow. medications. I'm just like, whatever. I, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But like some people are like so sensitive so to sensitive. like any little change. Um, and especially the, You know, any sort of herbal antimicrobials or antivirals or antiparasite, they're like yeah, really serious things. Like these are not things that you can say to someone here, go pop this. It's like, no, no, you want to be working with a practitioner. Yeah, you need
1: to work with someone. And and particularly if you're somebody who's very, very sensitive to things, because sometimes the place to start is homeopathic. Mm -hmm. you know, or, or an herbal preparation. So, so diluted just to kind of feel it out. So there's a lot of ways around, uh, working with people who are really sensitive. So it's not like it can't be done, but I mean, you have to, that's when it comes down to like really prioritizing things, where as I, as we were saying before, like sometimes the weight loss is the last thing to shift. Like you have to fix all these other things. It's the same thing with infections too. Sometimes you can't just like cut the infections, especially if there's like mold exposure or, you know, you've got genetic detox hiccups and methylation (laughs) hiccups, and you want to smooth all those things out first, uh, before you jump into like you know, any of the fun stuff, like pooping out worms.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you kind of alluded to this briefly, but um, there are cycles connected to parasites. So talk to me about that.
1: So years and years and years ago, I worked alongside this woman who was a very seasoned acupuncturist, but she also did this kind of energy medicine that was really cool with like a computer and like a very unique practitioner. I really, really think- Um, I mean, she's just incredible. And I believe that she's the one who first mentioned this to me because I know I didn't notice it on my own. Someone told me, I just, I think it was her. Um, Certain infections, specifically types of parasites cycle with the moon. And so if you are someone who notes, who's notably, who noticeably feels different around the full moon take note because there might be a parasite. doesn't mean that it's a gut parasite. It could be something like Babesia which is a bloodborne parasite, but it is a parasite. Um, but infections are cyclical. So if you, and this is where it gets really tricky with women specifically, because Mm -hmm. our bodies are cyclical. So a lot of women will chalk up their symptoms to their periods and it could be, but microbes and and infections and, and parasites, all sorts of microbes, are also responsive to not just our female hormone fluctuations but also our neurotransmitter fluctuations. So there's this research it's and I do think it came out of veterinary medicine (laughs) it may have but there's a little bit of research that says during the full moon our serotonin levels are a little bit higher And, you know, back in the day when we all cycled together, the full moon was a time of ovulation. Mm -hmm. So serotonin levels are higher. The full moon is bright and romantic. And that's sort of like why the full moon is so romantic. Um, So parasites in the gut and elsewhere are also responsive to serotonin and serotonin allows them more mobility in the system. And so they take that opportunity and that is when they reproduce. So full moon is when they're moving around more, they're laying their eggs more. And then at the new moon is when they hatch. So for many people with the types of parasitic gut infections that I treat, we kind of do things in two week intervals. Um, mm-hmm. And that's more advanced. We don't start out like that this is advanced when we're really digging into the deeper layers. And so we'll see, you know, I was talking with a client yesterday and she was saying how she's on a two week upswing. And I was like, interesting. Let me know how you feel around May 30th and then <laughs> report back. So what people will notice, and some people are only sensitive to full moon and some people are only sensitive or more sensitive to new moon. And some people are sort of sensitive to both. So if you find that your symptoms are cyclical and they're you know, they on these two weeks or month long cycles, you should think infection. It may not just be fluctuations in female hormones. It could be, but that actually could be activating and reactivating infections and making them more active. So it's a very interesting kind of feed forward thing. And that's why you might see like online, you know, these full moon protocols um, for, for parasites. And this is why. So even when we use prescription medication sometimes for like antiparasitics, the doctors that I, that I work with, they, they know, they know. So you do the first round around the full moon and then do the next round two weeks later. And that's always been the thing. Like the thing, even if you're not kind of attuned to this, doctors will often recommend you take the meds for these days and two weeks later you do another round. And that's because that's the hatching cycle. But I mean, just doing that two doses of medication is not going to eradicate anything. And also we're not going for eradication. We're going for rebalancing.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, for those of you who are listening, who are like, whoa, this is like way is out there and <laughs> way woo. Um, you it know, it's a so, long it's... time
1: to talk about this because it sounds so bonkers. And, and like, when you're explaining it to people, you're like, I know this sounds really witchy. I mean, I didn't talk about it publicly <laughs> in a, for, until very recently, because it seemed like an unsafe topic, because it sounds so wackadoo.
0: (laughs) You know, we've always known the association with the moon and menstrual cycles, you know, even if we are pretty detached from that now, but there is some, you know, research that being exposed to the full moonlight can actually help regulate our cycles. But if you're sleeping with like blackening shades and you're not getting exposed to the rise in the moonlight that can play an effect. But also I, I always like to think of it like we know we see visibly day after day, it's science, how the moon's pull affects water, you know, it affects the oceans, it affects the tides. And when we think about what percentage of our bodies are made up of water, Right. And to, to think that we're not in some way affected by the gravitational pull of the moon, I think is, it's a little, it's a little ignorant, you know? Um, so yeah, so I did want to talk about this. So so really it's interesting that even the conventional docs are kind of like on board with this, even if they're not well the really doctors that I work with are it. not conventional. Okay. okay? <laughs> they are not, they are not conventional.
1: But the conventional treatment is to do two rounds two weeks apart. But that's the hat that's the laying and the hatching. Because mm-hmm. you have you've got to get the adults, you've got to get the larva, you gotta get the eggs. So this is why, you know, when when these are not overnight fixes. Like if you just want to do, just to kind of keep your microbiome healthy, I'm not against somebody doing like a really nice, like well thought out, you know, anti-parasitic quote cleanse uh, once or twice a year. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's completely reasonable. Uh, But if we're trying to correct something that is really out of balance, then it takes a lot more time. So we see this with people who, you know, one of the big questions is like, how do you know that there's a big problem? So like the things to look out for, first of all, itchy butt. If you Mm. have an itchy butt and you find that the itchy buttness is cyclical and you notice that when you look up and it's the full moon and your butt is itching, (laughs) you should be really suspicious (laughs) that you might've picked up a parasite. So that's a, a big one, um, really persistent digestive symptoms, persistent IBS, either constipation or diarrhea prominent doesn't matter. Um, if you've got SIBO that keeps coming back, you know, you SIBO is really not root cause. It just isn't like that could be the, a big source of symptoms, but you have to re, you have to re configure all of the different things that led to the SIBO. Um, if you've got someone with major Candida and you can't get the Candida under control, something is shielding the Candida and allowing for it to grow because Candida is opportunistic. It's not really that deep on its own. There, mm-hmm. you know, It, me, it requires uh, a lot of encouragement to kind of get to that level. So if you can't clear Candida, think parasitic infections, that there's something bigger that's shielding things. Um, histamine issues, people who suddenly develop a bunch of food allergies as an adult. Mm. That can be parasitic infection that disrupts the gut immune system. Um, And and PS, that can be reversed sometimes. Uh, So that's really an important thing to just kind of be aware of. Um, High
0: eosinophils in the blood. You're talking like to my whole situation here with this. Really? <laughs> far, allergies, if you've got asthma. lime, yeah, like lime and uh, parasites man. like to live
1: together, mold and parasites and yeast all live together. Like, and you know, there's a lot of question as to, you know, we have no idea who comes first, but there's this idea of you can think of it in terms of Russian nesting dolls. Mm-hmm. where it's like the parasites, the parasitic worms are not all bad. Like sometimes they're our friends because they eat the heavy metals, they eat some of the infections, they eat the mold, and then they serve as a holding place. But if things get out of control and they replicate too much, then it negatively impacts the whole, the overall ecosystem. And then when you start to kill off the worms, they release all of these other things that they've been holding onto for you. So you got to treat all that other stuff too. So, you know, this is not really do-it-yourself kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a lot. It's complicated.
1: It is complicated, and you've got to be like brave enough. It's funny because people really freak out in the beginning, but towards the
0: end, it's like so satisfying. Yeah. So, when I think Robin Foretane, I think three Uh-oh. three P's three P's come to mind: uh, parasites. <laughs> pomegranates. Oh yeah. And phytofying. Oh so yes. Actually coined the term phytofying. Can you briefly phytofying. explain yes. what that what that is? So,
1: you know, phytofy means to amp up the phytonutrients that are in your meal. And you can do that with herbs. You can do that with spices. You can do that with like, I know people started like really hating on the word uh, superfood, but I still like it, you know, whatever. So like, you know, throw raw beets on anything. Now you have phytofide. or, you know, throw a bunch of like cilantro or basil or parsley or whatever into your salad. That is like, you've just amped up the antioxidant potential of that meal so much um, with that one simple thing. So it's just about being a little bit more mindful of like, all right, here's this meal that I'm about to eat. How can I make it better in terms of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory? And I think the simplest answer is herbs, herbs, spices, you know, drink some green tea after drink a matcha. That's totally Fido.
0: Your family holiday dinners are always just so stunning and so gorgeous. And you know, there's going to be pomegranates all over that table too. Oh, pomegranate obsessed for sure. (laughs) And you know, what's so funny
1: is, um, I, I did PR before I did nutrition. Just you, I think you did advertising before Mm -hmm. you did nutrition. So I was doing, um, food PR, basically. And so one of the businesses, one of the new businesses that we went after when I was at my first agency person, Marsteller, was we went after Palm Wonderful when it was first first uh, created. And they called me in on that meeting just for the brainstorm. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm pomegranate obsessed. I was raised by immigrants. This is like all we eat all the time. We love it. I'm the perfect person for this (laughs) pitch.
0: Uh, but we didn't get it.
1: <laughs> I don't know who got it, but we didn't get it.
0: <laughs> I know. They're great. Um, yeah. Tell people about your your cultural background and your, I mean, just the food is just, I, I'm just drooling looking at your we've food. We've got factors. a good,
1: yeah, we've got a good food background. So my dad is from Iran and he came here when he was 15 and my mom was born in Baghdad, but grew up in Argentina. Um, And then came here when she was 15 or 16. And so we've got this blend of like Middle Eastern foods and spices and, you know, lots of herbs, lots of flavor, you know, lots of color to the meals. Um, And I remember when I first started uh, studying nutrition, my grandma was like so apologetic over her like Friday night Shabbat dinners, which were, I mean, those were something to behold she just would make so many different kinds of food it was just like she's an amazing chef I I mean even like the way that she dices her onions like they're all uniform pieces like she really she's very detailed um but she was very apologetic of like oh I know that this isn't really healthy and this and that and I remember being like what are you talking about this is like A a beautiful stew of like okra and onion and garlic and like little bits of like meat chunks like it really was still very plant forward. Um, And yet there and it's this like pervasive idea that if you have like this cultural food that most likely it's like not healthy when in reality it completely, it completely is or at least the potential is there that if you did it the way that like grandma did it or great grandma did it, that's a really healthy food, you know? All those
0: fights. So that's where the phytonutrients came from. I think
1: so. And the herbs herbs and spices. Yeah. There's this thing, there's this tradition that we do. um, All Persians do this. All Persians and Iranians do this. Uh, They call it a Sabzi plate and Sabzi just means green. And you put out a plate with pretty much every meal that is just bunches of fresh herbs. So like mint and tarragon and basil and parsley and radishes and, you know, all these other things, usually a block of a feta type cheese, and then there'll be some, you know, bread on the side or whatever. And and they serve the subsea plate. And so if you see Persians eat that, we're literally eating handful, like by the handful and shoving them in our mouths. But it's this great way to just kind of like freshen your breath. It's like so delicious. And, and this is like a, a standard practice, but it, the health benefits of doing that on a regular basis is so incredible. Like we should just all be making sabsi platters.
0: <laughs> I know. It's just going to bring it back to gut health again. And say all those great supportive antioxidants and fiber. Yeah. Supporting the gut. Um, and so chewing, funny. chewing. Um, before I let you go, do you have any takeaway tips for you know how to sort of get a handle on all of this and you know maybe support our guts a little better? Um, I feel like I need like an intervention after this episode. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like please kind of um yeah, you six, know, like, I think it's
1: sort of like to, you know probably the most powerful thing that you can do is just like cut down on the added sugar and try not to eat chemicals in your food. Like really minimize the chemicals in your food, the fake sugars, all that kind of stuff. Food colorings, you know, really be, you know, keep it as natural as you can and then be mindful of any food sensitivities. Don't ignore your food sensitivities. If you know that dairy and cheese do not agree with you, stop pushing it, stop forcing it. Because you're just triggering inflammation. Oh, by the way, parasitic infections will make you not tolerate dairy. And so some people will get dairy back after you conquer those infections, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so that's a big one. If you are someone who really struggles with sugar and carb cravings, there might be something that's driving that, not just this, you know, I hate that whole like willpower even as a concept is so stupid and annoying and really like Blaney. And so I, we hate that, um, but you know, the microbes not only interact with our own neurochem- you know, neurotransmitters, they'll also emit their own. So they can literally make you feel like crap until you give in to what benefits them. And so that, you know, if you really struggle with carb and sugar cravings and you know it's independent of hunger or appetite or anything like that and that whoosh of like euphoric relief after you give into it. Yes, it could be serotonin rush. Yes. But it could also be serotonin rush to the microbes. It might be the yeast and the pathogens calling for the sugar and the carb because they really that they love that that fuels them so they can hijack your habits and behaviors and that is its own separate conversation and runs very very deep but you know think about your relationship with food and if if it feels very out of control like some of that could be just behavioral for sure for sure but some of them might be coming from the gut and if it's infection related you can actually restore that and rebalance that so those the intensity of that kind of craving dies down and that can be really helpful like once it doesn't feel like it's coming from the root of your soul and you must must give in you can make all sorts of decisions that you know with a with kind of like a a more clear clear mind um brain fog should not be ignored Um, If you can get rid of, like I said, if you can get rid of added sugar or really, really pull back on that, make it very occasional, very small amounts, you're going to do major things for your microbiome. Um, Don't worry too much about fruit unless you know you've got a big yeast issue that, you know, some people do need to limit fruit pretty severely, but most people don't. Fruit is good for the microbiome. We love that lots of vegetables, lots of phytonutrients, lots of herbs, oregano and garlic are great for the microbiome. So is clove. Mm -hmm. So are pumpkin seeds. So are pomegranate seeds. Those are natural anti-parasitic foods. Uh, You have to eat a lot of them to get the benefit, but it's still, it still counts. So, you know, turmeric is another antimicrobial anti-parasitic herb, there's a lot of foods in nature that can really help to reset the microbiome. Same thing with fermented, like, you know, naturally fermented sauerkraut, kefir, if you can do dairy, the naturally fermented pickles, and I love kraut juice. I don't know who else is on the kraut juice Mm -hmm. tip, but I can't get enough of that. But if you find that you don't tolerate that because you get flushed, that's a histamine issue. And then you've got to think that there might be some, you know, deeper, Issue to be to be addressed.
0: I have my non dairy kefir in my in my fridge right now. Is it good? Is it coconut? It is the forager one. The cashew one is pretty good actually. Wow. I just do cashew a little bit. Is my
1: one nut allergy and oh. all the dairy free things are made from cashew nuts.
0: So I yeah, I, I think the only kafir I've seen that's non-dairy is cashew based, actually. I don't think I've seen any other ones out there. Um I might have seen coconut at some point, but not sure. Um, So thank you so much for coming on. Please tell the audience where they can find you and how they can work with you. And I know you're always sharing full moon stories uh, when that's going on. Yes.
1: Now that I'm feeling a little less shy to talk (laughs) about the full moon stuff. So you can find me um, on Instagram at Forutan dot nutrition that's f-o-r-o-u-t-a-n dot nutrition and my website is nutrition by robin but robin with an i dot com um so you can find me there you can send me a nice little note if you're interested in working together um but yeah i would love to hear from from you guys and and would love to hear more about you know what you want to learn
0: And definitely for the folks, because I can't work with people in New York, um, Robin is for sure one of my trusted dietitians in New York. So if you're looking to work with a functional dietitian and you happen to be in New York, Robin would be one of the ones I would (laughs) recommend you to. So thank you so, so much for joining me and thank you to the audience for listening. Thanks for having me. This was fun. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with The Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode, and in the meantime, stay balanced.